Our Father, we are thankful. We're even thankful for this, these circumstances because we're thankful for all things. We know that you're the one in control. You're the one who's sovereign, not us. Uh, we do cry out to you, but uh, and you hear. But uh, you're the one who's sovereign, and uh, the times that we are living in are more difficult than some of us have experienced, and certainly a great challenge uh, for many. Uh, we pray, Father, for our nation and our leaders, especially that the president and those that serve with him uh, in those positions of great responsibility, that they would recognize that they are only and can only be instruments of you yourself and uh, that, that they would be dependent, therefore, on you and that your wisdom would become theirs and that might make a great difference. Uh, Father, I pray for all those who are serving in uh, those various capacities, whether doctors or nurses or aides or uh, in whatever area they're serving, Father. Um, there are many going into homes still and caring for those who are greatly uh, disabled, and, and they're certainly included in the list, uh, those who, who are vulnerable and those who could be spreading the virus. Roy is in a situation like that where someone comes in often. So, Father, I just pray many, uh, even those in our group here, are very vulnerable to this uh, this virus. It could be extremely life-threatening. So, Father, I just pray that you would uh, watch over all of us and all those that are working so uh, self-sacrificially on behalf of those who are ill and those who are not suffering from this illness, but others, uh, whether that's in the hospital setting, in the in the offices, uh, or in the homes. We pray for those uh, emergency workers who deal with other issues, uh, fire and the police, and, and now also the National Guard has become involved in certain support roles. So, Father, we just pray for them that uh, they would have your uh, strength and power and endurance and wisdom as they do their many duties and sacrifice so much for others. Father, I pray that the, this trial would soon be passed. It's not only a trial health-wise for many, but it's a trial for our nation and the world uh, economically, well, and, and that can directly affect health, too, if uh, if those things are not soon remedied. If the workers are not able to work, uh, this cannot go on that long and that way without long-term consequences. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, resolve this. Uh, we know that it's your will and your purpose and work, and uh, we need you to intersect, of course, always in our lives and in the lives of our people, our nation, our leaders, our president. I pray that in this time of trial, many would be drawn to you, Father. They would realize their strength and wisdom and knowledge is not enough, and they would turn to the only one who can truly save and save eternally. So, Father, I, I pray for uh, many to be drawn into your grace in these days. And may those that possess the precious word of grace, may they uh, 
May we be bold with that as you give us opportunity. Father, as we look into your word, I, I pray that you would open its meaning to us in Christ's name. And amen. Again, we're privileged. I say that every time because that's how I see it. We're privileged, and I hope you do too. We have this privilege to open the word of truth. And it is a comfort to us, whatever times we're living in. But certainly in these challenging times, it is a comfort. Uh, I said last time, I believe strongly that uh, though we may be uh, challenged much in these days, uh, some of our group have been far more challenged in their lives in the past than we have been in these days. And if we just look back in history, uh, how have believers uh, lived in times past? What circumstances did they find themselves in? What were their challenges? And I'm thinking, of course, of, of uh, those that have suffered down through the ages in times of war, because that has been the constant condition of mankind, right? War, also famine, plague, or great, great persecution. Uh, most of us, most of us have not suffered in those ways. Some of us have never suffered in those ways, at least not greatly in compared to those that have lived before. So we do face a great challenge. It's not uh, unknown to man. It's not a special kind of thing that is totally unique. Um, and we should realize that the Thessalonian believers to whom Paul's letters were written were themselves suffering great challenges. And that is the background and the occasion for Paul writing this wonderful letter. It's a short letter, but it's so filled with needed uh, truth and uh, blessing. And the overall uh, intent of the apostle was, of course, to share his comfort with the believers in Thessalonica. Uh, so false teachers had come into their midst and they had led astray many believers there as far as their faith and expectation was concerned. So Paul needed to reteach them and to remind them again of what he had previously taught. And uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, last time, one of the key verses we looked at was in verse 13, where Paul writes this. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And I, I wonder whether you have grasped onto the meaning of this. I, I, I say I wonder because even though I studied the scripture and taught it uh, many times over the years, uh, there was uh, one aspect of it that um, that I kind of missed, at least to a degree, until recently, and that's that uh, he he's saying um, more than that these believers here may have kind of lost track of what was most important in life, and now that some of their group had had died, they they were losing their confidence in the Lord. Well, 
<laughs> it says that she sorrow not even as others which have no hope, right? Hmm. How could they have lost their faith to that degree, right? You might wonder, even as others which have no, in other words, unbelievers. So how could these believers, and he doesn't question their faith in that regard, right? He doesn't question their salvation. But uh, these false teachers had been so successful. I, I think even the truths relating to the resurrection promises uh, had been, uh, to some degree, set aside, okay? In other words, those who had died had somehow been drawn outside of the realm of the re resurrection power of the Lord, and the hope of resurrection had been lost somehow. Uh, so, indeed, this was a serious circumstance in the church here. And as I've said many times before, uh, in the world, we find uh, false teaching, right? It creeps around. It's satanic. It leads many astray, even believers. And uh, at the minimum, what it does is take the focus of the saints off of that which is most important. It takes their focus off of that which is truly heavenly and spiritual and that which has been fully and completely accomplished by the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Okay. Uh, last time we also looked at those other verses there that finish up uh, chapter 4. And uh, the main point, the main teaching there was that those who have gone before, those the Lord has already called, are already in his presence spiritually, they will be resurrected before we ourselves are called into heaven's glory. In other words, when we're called up to meet Christ in the air, they will have already been resurrected and they will be with the Lord and we'll all have this grand reunion there before we're caught up into the third heaven. So that's in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 14 and 15. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. Okay, so those who have died already, they're already with the Lord in spirit. They will be uh, resurrected and uh, shall be joined together with us at the rapture. Okay. That's a precious teaching the Lord has given here. It's intended to correct the false teaching that has been received by those in Thessalonica, at least by many of them. I just wonder about what kind of uh, conflicts there were in that church over this issue. Some still believing and some now not. Uh, it could have been devastating, right, to the unity of the believers. But as Paul's already written here, uh, there, that church is not to be condemned <laughs> at all, but to be exalted, to be honored. And, uh, and what Paul is saying here is that this false teaching was creeping in and was devastating if it could uh, take over uh, 
completely there, that would be a truly uh, great failure uh, of, of faith in those dear saints, right? Paul surely doesn't want that to happen. So he continues on in chapter uh, 4 to mention, and this is the verse where we get the word rapture from there in verse 17. He says in verse 16, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Those words there, be caught up together in the Latin translation, uh, that would be the word uh, from which we get our, our, our um, word rapture. The rapture is clearly revealed here. The order of resurrections is revealed here. This is the order of resurrections for the church, the body of Christ, right? First, the, <clears throat> the dead in Christ raised incorruptible, right? These are all the members of the body who've already died at that point, right? Then the Lord calls us into heaven and transforms those of us who are still alive, okay? So we receive resurrection bodies too, okay? And then he says, we shall all be then together forever with the Lord, okay? The last verse there is one of comfort, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, I'm just wondering, are we comforted by these words? Or is the promise of the rapture something that's kind of in the background because we're so focused on earthly matters, right? Focusing on earthly matters is a large part of our lives. There's no question about it. And uh, yet our hope is in the Lord. And, and so these scriptures are very relevant to us. We should have great comfort considering that the next thing on the prophetic horizon is, in fact, the rapture. It's not everything else that so many talk about. It's not what's happening in Israel or what's happening in some other part of the world or what's happening in this country or the one world uh, <clears throat> agenda of, of certain uh, politicians. That That's not uh, something scripture is all about. Uh, some things may need to happen uh, sort of as a preliminary to the rapture, but certainly the scriptures that Paul is writing here and the promises he's making uh, by the word of the Lord, by the way, these are the promises the Lord has given to Paul to repeat to the believers, right? <clears throat> Those things are applicable in every period of time throughout the entire dispensation of the grace of God, okay? So, we're not waiting for some prophetic events to be fulfilled, which must occur before the Lord calls us into heaven's glory. No, that is not what we are waiting for. And that is the direct focus and teaching we look at next here. And we get to chapter five. Okay. 
it will take us three uh, teachings to get through chapter 5. We'll do the first part today, verses 1 through 8. And, uh, <laughs> and that is what I've just said. The rapture or catching up of the church is next on God's calendar. Comfort, not fear, is our grace gift for today. And the reason is we're not living in the tribulation period. The false teachers, some of them at least, must have been teaching the Thessalonian believers that they were in the tribulation period. Uh, and uh, that was a, a total change from what they had expected, changed everything from their point of view. They hadn't been taught that by Paul, that's for sure. Uh, that they would ever be in the tribulation period, but but now some apparently thought they were. And so Paul is going to directly address that subject in these next verses. Okay, I want to start, though, by having us reread, and I'll have Gail do that, those key verses from First Thess Thessalonians 4, since uh, even though I've just read them again for you, I want them to be very well in mind as we go into chapter 5. So, Gail, please read those, chapter 4, verse 13, and 17 and 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Thank you, Gail, so much. Um, well, <laughs> there's the direct statement of the rapture, right, and why we should have hope. It's so clearly revealed there. Now, um, when we get to chapter 5, we're going to be looking at things that they had already been taught also by the Apostle Paul, and therefore, there was no reason for them to be ignorant of those things. And we'll see what those things are in a moment. Knowledge clearly is being elevated here to a very high plane. You know, if we do not know that which is true and believe what's false and therefore have expectations that are not true, uh, then we're in real confusion. And that is a, a serious situation indeed for us. So Paul's writing about knowledge when he says, I would not have you to be ignorant. That means you need to have the knowledge that the churches today have the people living in ignorance and willingly so is just an incredible thing, is it not? Saying, well, you already know too much scripture. You don't need to know more. Now what you need is obedience. I hear that all the time. The fact is they need knowledge. <clears throat> they need to be their faith. They're, they need to have their faith focused on the truth of God and not on uh, religious uh, principles and methods, which is what's happened in the churches largely. There are ways to build mega churches using worldly techniques indeed, but that does not accomplish a spiritual purpose. It cannot. And the enemy uses it and promotes false religion through that kind of worldliness. Okay. So that's uh, uh, knowledge that is definitely needed. He's just uh, there. We just had it restated again. 
the rapture will be a reality as the next thing on the calendar for us. So listen carefully and, and, uh, and wait and love his appearing. There's a crown of righteousness waiting for those that do, right? Paul uh, promises that in his uh, last letter. Okay, so now let's get to the second point here. The rapture or catching up of the church. It's all about grace and tribulation being so very, very different. And that's the teaching we find here. We find here two, two things, and the contrast between them is like white versus black, okay? Grace and tribulation are entirely different in many, many ways. And that's what the Thessalonians had lost track of due to the false teaching. Okay, so we're going to see that revealed so clearly here in these first eight verses in uh, the, chap the chapter set before us, chapter 5. But before we go there, I want us to look in Romans. And so, Kristen, I'd like you to read out of Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, because here what we see is sort of a very, very high-level uh, statement of doctrine, which is critically important. It's it, This is dispensational doctrine. It has to do with how God is working at a certain time in human history and how that changes from one period to the next. Of course, we live today in the dispensation of the grace of God, and uh, that working of God will be... Uh, uh, <clears throat> focused uh, here by this special tri tri <laughs> trio. It's a trio of, of verses. Uh, so please read this for us, Kristen. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Thank you, Kristen. Okay, now that's a statement of, uh, of great um, content and power, because basically what... Paul is teaching is that part of the sacred secret revealed to Paul uh, what had to do with this, the way that God would set aside Israel to bring in the Gentiles and to create the body of Christ as a new thing, right? Uh, so God was already working with Israel down through the centuries, and he had not fulfilled all of the promises that he had made to them that would await a future time, right? And uh, so that program, that program focused on Israel, uh, was set aside, and we're living now in a period that's not that, but different entirely. Uh, that is a dis different dispensational plan than the one we're in now. And if we look to the future, the time will come when God will refocus on Israel. And when will that occur? when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Paul writes here that blindness 
has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And then the program will change back to Israel. And we will be in heaven's glory. So the rapture isn't mentioned here, but the timing of it is. Because when the church, the body of Christ, is completed, when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, then God's going to be able to turn back to Israel. There'll be no longer the dispensation of the work of the grace of God in effect. It will have passed away because we will have been all captured up into heaven's glory to receive our heavenly inheritance. Okay, and then God will turn his focus back to his own nation, the nation of Israel, and bring to completion their promises. That will take a seven-year tribulational period to accomplish. Then the second coming of Christ, Israel's Messiah will return to this earth and will establish on this earth the 1,000-year millennial kingdom. And he will fulfill the land promises given to Israel uh, and uh, many other promises as well that has made has been have been made okay so there's much dispensational teaching here just in three verses of course in romans chapter 9 through 11 you see much more teaching given that that's a section of the letter to the romans that focuses specifically on israel and how god is not finished with israel yet okay so that's uh, what we see here uh, now, um, we are now ready. I think we have had enough background to go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay, so what I'd like to do is for all these verses to be read, verses 1 through 8, just so you get the whole context here. So first of all, I would like Lisa to read verses 1 through 3. Uh, Lisa? But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Thank you, Lisa. You see there that um, they did know some things perfectly, or at least he had taught them, right? He said, you don't have a need that I write unto you of these things. And I think there's another reason why he wrote it that way. <clears throat> we'll get to in a moment. But um, <laughs> uh, my, of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Okay. Okay, now uh, verses 4 and 5. Ben, please read that, and please uh, move clo as close to the mic as you can on the computer, if you would. Verses 4 and 5. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that, that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Good. Good. Thank you, Ben. And now, Roy, verses 6 through 8, please. So then let us not sleep 
as we do the rest, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night, but let us But let us, since we are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope and salvation. Thank you, Roy. Okay. Okay, those those eight verses are the uh, teaching that leads directly into the most important verse in the whole chapter which we'll save for next time <laughs> so you have to anticipate that i couldn't include it today oh i dearly love to and there are a couple of verses coming up that are so so powerful and so important but uh, as a as a preliminary we need to understand what paul was teaching to these believers here about the times and the seasons um <clears throat> What we have here are dispensational contrasts, okay? And you see what those contrasts are. He says the time will come when they say peace and safety. Well, we're not there now. Today's war, we're in the time of war. I mean, there's been wars dominating humanity down through the ages, right? We're not at that time when there's worldwide peace and safety. Of course, when that time comes, it'll be declared by the emissary of Satan, right? He will declare peace and safety. The first three and a half years of the tribulation period are exactly that. The one world agenda will have been brought to completion, <laughs> at least as much as possible, right? It'll be uh, rule by force uh, around the world. There will be no war. There will be no rumors of war or anything of the sort in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. Uh, we could prove that from the Old Testament if we had time, but we don't have time to go back there today. So that's one thing, um, peace and safety. Uh, that will dominate in the first part of the tribulation period, but not today. So there's a clear distinction there. The day of the Lord will come and it will be uh, imposed upon humanity worldwide, called the day of the Lord because it's the time of the Lord's judgment of humanity. We also see other contrasts between light and darkness, between day and night, uh, between uh, sleeping and, uh, and watching, okay? So let's look at these uh, quickly now in order to understand what Paul is writing. We have to take careful note of what words and expressions are used here. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one choosing the words, and he's choosing the right words. And so if we read scripture and we feel like, well, I don't quite understand this, I don't know why he, he, he wrote it like this, that's always a wake-up call that we need to study more and ask the Lord to give us understanding because the words are the right words. If we have uh, misunderstandings and if we're confused, that's an issue for us. It's not a problem in the word of the living God. Sometimes false translations can make it far worse than otherwise. 
but assuming we have good translations, uh, it's an issue of us to wait on the Lord for his teaching here. And then things will be clear. And I hope they are today uh, clearer when we finish than when we began for each of you. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. He mentions the times and the seasons and the day of the Lord. Um, the only other place where this expression, exact expression, is used is in Acts chapter 1. And there, just after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples ask the Lord and they say, is this the time? Okay. And the Lord says, no, these are not the times and the seasons that you had expected. Those will come. The implication is not today, not today. Okay. So those times and seasons, uh, th that that's an expression referring ahead prophetically to when uh, the Lord will have refocused on Israel and the nations in the time of tribulation. Okay the times and the seasons. Um, Paul calls it here, in fact, um, the day of the Lord, right? It's a time of great trial coming for Israel uh, and uh, the Jews, and it will, in fact, be a great trial for all the nations of this world. Uh, if you'd like to read up on that more, go to the Old Testament book of Zephaniah, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, or Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Uh, it will be a time of great trial. And at the end of it, and in the second half of it, uh, there'll be great salvation for the elect of Israel. Uh, God's elect nation will be saved uh, during that time. Many not actually saved until uh, times become very, very difficult, I'm sure. We see in verses 3 and 4 another couple of words that are uh, important. I mentioned it already, the peace and the safety. So take note of that, right? That's, uh, those are terms that relate specifically to the Great Tribulation period. Okay. Um, now, what is the exhortation for believers during that time, believers who are living during that time? It'll be to watch and to be well prepared, and it'll be to be ready as they look for the signs of the times, the signs of the times uh, and seasons, right? Uh, that's what they're to be looking and watching for. Why? Because that will signal prophetic events that Old Testament prophets and the Lord himself made very, very clear, right? And in fact, they'll have to run and flee to the wilderness at a certain point. And you know, the Lord wrote much about that in Matthew 24 and 25, in Luke 21, and uh, in Revelation chapter 12, we see similar language. Okay, so... Uh, peace and safety, and then the times and the seasons will develop in such a way that there are great signs even in heaven concerning coming judgment. Then we see the words night and day. Normally, these words are used of uh, 
ordinary 24-hour solar days divided into periods of light and darkness, right? But here, the words are used differently. Yes, there's an analogy, but the teaching has to do with something else altogether. What Paul is doing is teaching now dispensationally, using the word night to refer to the tribulation period, using the word day to refer to this time of grace we're living in now, the dispensation of the grace of God. Okay, night versus day. He also mentions those that are living in these different periods. <clears throat> those living in the darkness of the tribulation are referred to by the word them. Those who are living in the dispensation of grace, living in the light, they in the day, they're referred to by these pronouns such as us or we. So we have they or them on the one hand, us or we on the other hand, okay? Two totally distinctive groups. <clears throat> this is dispensational teaching. It's not teaching about some believers who are obedient and others who are not, all living at the same time and under the same circumstances. That's what prophecy is all about. Matthew 24 is written in that fashion, right? But this is all about those living in one dispensational framework versus and quite contrary to those living in the other, okay? That's very important to see. Then he mentions wrath and being appointed to that. Who's appointed to wrath? It's the ones who are living in the tribulation period. The tribulation period is the time of wrath that will come upon this world, right? <clears throat> uh, those living in the dispensation of grace are not appointed unto wrath. Well, said there in that verse we just read, right? They're not appointed unto wrath and they're not living and they will never live in the time of Jacob's trouble. Why not? Because all believers, all members of the body of Christ will be taken out of this world before that time begins, okay? So these Thessalonians, they were not appointed to wrath. What were they appointed to? <laughs> he mentions earlier, they were appointed to trial and tribulation and persecution, right? And they were already undergoing that. But that was not at all the same as the wrath that would be upon this earth uh, during the tribulation period. Okay, so there's so much there. Um, I wish we had time to reread all those verses again. Well, maybe I'll just do it. Okay, chapter 5, verse 1. Of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Those are exactly the same words and language that we find in Matthew 24 and 25. The Lord there teaching his disciples before the cross event, looking forward to the time of Jacob's trouble, right? And teaching them concerning that, uh, that uh, those that live in that time will endure to the end, not accept the mark of the beast. Many of them will be martyred, but there'll be an elect nation nevertheless 
saved gloriously and they will be brought into their kingdom hope when the Lord returns to this earth. Okay, so that's uh, what that's all about. So then the contrast, ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. We're not in the darkness today, that that day should overtake us as a thief. Not because we're watching the signs of the times, no, but because our confidence is in the Lord and his grace, right? Because as he says, you're children of light and children of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. We're not living in that time and never will be. The realm we live in is the realm of God's abundant grace. We may have a virus going around the world and killing many. How many times has that happened in human history, right? Think of 1917, 1918, the so-called Spanish flu. Think about the plagues. I read to you from Luther's comment recently, where Luther said, I will do everything reasonable to protect myself and others from this plague. And it was the bubonic plague, right? That was sweeping across Europe. But he said, if the Lord wants to take me, he shall surely find me. <laughs> but don't lose confidence. Our confidence is in the Lord, even in those circumstances of life and death. Okay. So we're not living in that future period that prophecy is all about the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay, so these are very critical uh, contrasts here. Now, based upon that, he exhorts the believers there in verses six through eight, right? He says, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, the word watch here, what is that all about? He means be alert and be sober. Don't be drunken, he says meaning totally out of touch which what, with what's happening around you. Those who are drunken and those who are on uh, drugs, you know, those who are addicted, those who are influenced, even if they're influenced by things other than uh, alcohol and drugs, right? There are many other things that can uh, totally overwhelm the human spirit so we become dependent upon them, right? He says, don't be like that. Be alert, be aware, because we have a spiritual challenge facing us. Verse 8 indicates what it is. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I hope you see that the hope of salvation he mentions here is the calling of Christ to be with him forevermore, to be joined together with those that have gone before, receiving resurrection bodies, and then receiving our heavenly inheritance. That's what our hope is fo focused so perfectly on, I would hope. So as we go through these hard times, let us not lose that focus. That's the whole point of what Paul has written here to these believers. It really is the whole point of it, right? If you have the heavenly hope, it changes your life here on this earth dramatically.
If you do not, what will the consequence be? It will be like these Thessalonians, in some cases, had come to experience. They had lost their hope, and they had become disappointed, even perhaps depressed, and very much uh, grieving as those that have no hope. In other words, grieving as unbelievers. And I do see many believers who grieve in that way. I really do. Why? They've not ever perhaps been taught these precious truths that Paul is teaching to the Thessalonians, or if they have, they've given them up. So many today are teaching quite contrary to the word of the living God, right? So this is very relevant for today. We're not living in the time of peace and safety. You may have thought we were based upon the uh, the good times, <laughs> so-called, that have gone on for so long, right, in this nation and others. But uh, indeed, uh, we're living in a time of the abundance of grace, right? And God has set before us many challenges that we might have the opportunity to show forth, what does he say here? Faith and love, right? Faith in the Lord God and his promises, love towards the loves, Lord certainly, right? And but also for the brethren, right, and those around us. And uh, then the confident hope of our deliverance from this world altogether. He says the hope of salvation makes the difference. So we are living in the light and not in the darkness. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Those that seek to tell you otherwise are not speaking truth, right? So what's the conclusion? Glory, glory, glory. I've said that before, before, right? We look for and we listen for the rapture of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? To be caught into heavenly glory. Uh, worldliness should be set aside, therefore. Yes, we're still in the world, but we're not of it. In any sense, in fact, we're living in the light and not in the darkness. We're living under grace and not under other uh, dispensational principles. And uh, what God offers us is comfort. It's not comfort as the world knows it, right? Or joy as the world would have it. It's a special gift of God because we're living in the light and not in the darkness. So be encouraged, everyone. Be encouraged. That's God's great gift to us. We will put our faith and confidence in him and not in ourselves or others or this world. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, there's time for any comments if you'd like to make any or for any questions. Hey, Jim, it's Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Hello. So um, great teaching. These are obviously some of our most favorite scriptures. Mm. Um, on 417, 
mm-hmm. uh, where Paul talks about being alive and remain. It just struck me as we were reading that that he uses two words to describe um, believers, but the in verse 16 he only describes them as the dead in Christ. Is there actually a difference between being alive or alive and remaining? Is he talking about trying to isolate two different types of people inside of there? I don't think so. Okay. I think he's just referring to the believers there. Um, Alive and remaining. Alive, uh, remain in the faith, shall be caught up, or is he saying just physically alive and physically remaining? Yeah, and to say it twice using different words puts the emphasis on it, uh, of course. But uh, we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, right? So, uh, yeah, I think we just take the words uh, in their simplest sense there and and not be... I mean, if he were including unbelievers or if he were somehow talking about just a subclass, a certain smaller group of believers, it would be, I think, very confusing. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions or comments? Are we looking forward? Always. Waiting on the Lord to see the great works that he will do. Amen. Huh? Amen. You. Patty wants to make a comment. Well, I think that what you reminded us of is very important to keep in mind, particularly in these days when there you know is great trouble in the world that our heavenly hope changes our lives dramatically um, we enjoy this life and um, particularly when it's going smoothly we endure with with joy actually and great hope when um, it's clear that there's trouble surrounding us everywhere, but we aren't, like said in the scriptures here, we don't despair as others that have no hope. Mm-hmm. But we have this eternal hope. That's our our that's our our hope, our joy, our strength in life, no matter what our circumstances are in this life, because it's not in this life that we place our hope and trust and source of of joy so that we don't despair when we're facing the loss of earthly hope. We don't despair because this is our helmet. You know, the helmet is is what protects the head. Thank you. (laughs) I intended to mention that, but thank you for mentioning helmet and what is our helmet it's the hope of salvation amen amen and it's intended that hope is intended by god by almighty god to carry us through times of great trial and i think that's much of what uh, romans 5 17 is intended to teach us that we would reign as kings reign in life it says those who have received abundance of grace Mm-hmm. And the gift of righteousness mm-hmm. shall reign in life by one, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, any other comments before we go to the Lord in prayer? Okay, Father God, thank you for gathering us today and uh, thank you for opening the word for us. May we take it to heart. May we see it, see clearly uh, the teachings that are revealed as the Spirit teaches us. May we not be confused and, and uh, living in the realm of false, false hopes, which do not relate to reality and have nothing to do with your grace and what you're doing through your grace today. May we realize that in, even in these dark, dark, dark times that we are currently living in or may yet live in, even as they progress, that uh, your greatest work is the work of delivering many from the ultimate darkness, <laughs> which is the darkness of uh, a lost condition, separated from you and from the glory of your presence and, and the joy of salvation, bound by sins and the consequence of them now and forever. Father, thank you for delivering many, even in these days, from that great, great burden. Uh, may we who know you, Father, and your truth be bold to share it with others. And may our love uh, also be clearly seen. We would ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And Father, I'd just like to add one thing that uh, many in our group uh, are suffering now, as you know, we cry out to you. Some may even suffer more in the days to come uh, because of this virus or others who are our loved ones. But Father, I pray that we would not lose our confidence or our hope, but always trust in you and that you would make the difference for us as you promised to do. In Christ's name, amen.